Uh, today we are going to be uh, still in Nehemiah, uh, so if you want to turn to Nehemiah, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. Um, man, that, those songs were so good and so on the money, theologically speaking, that it just kept... I love it when... I know the worship team is on point, when as they sing, Bible verses are just coming to my mind. Truths in God's Word are just coming to my mind. And, and, and the reason I say that is, is that this morning we started our uh, Defenders class, and I want to tell you, it was exciting. It was exciting for me as, you know, as I teach the class to see, I think we had 29 or 30 people in the room, and uh, they were there. It was early, but they were there, and they were excited, and we pressed in. If you did not get to come uh, this morning, for whatever reason, you think, man, I missed it. I don't want to come in late. Well, we didn't, get to, we didn't get to the first chapter today. Today was an introduction, and if you say, I missed it, that's kind of early, but whatever. Uh, come on in next Sunday, 8 a.m. in the overflow room. We're going to continue on in class. I think that if you ask anybody that was there, the Lord showed up. He sharpened. He done a work, and I'm just excited about what's going on. But coming off of that as well, I'm excited that Jesus Christ is real. That Jesus Christ is, is not just real to me, but he's evident in everything that I see around me. I'm glad that I can say that I trust in God's word, that I believe God's word to be 100% accurate, infallible, and inerrant, and I can base my life on it, and I'm safe to do so. That Jesus Christ and the Word of God, the God of the Bible, the Christian God, is the best explanation for how life really is. We don't have blind faith that just says, oh, all the evidence is against us, but we just believe anyway. No, 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 no. We have the faith that is the foundation of everything we see around us. Other religions, other faiths, and non-faiths, such as atheism, cannot answer the greatest questions asked by everyone within the human race. And the reason I bring all that out today is, is that we are going to get in the Word of God today. Okay, I'm not going to give you some fancy speech. I'm not going to try to convince you of my ideologies or things that I like. We're going to get into the Word of God. And the reason I say all of this is to say the things that I preach today, if you find that they are accurate, that they are within the context, and they are biblically right, then you need to change your life according to the text, the Word of God. I am not here for fun and games. I am not here for your entertainment. I'm here to tell you what the Word of God says, and as it convicts me and changes and molds me, it needs to do the same to you. We do not play church. We do not have a good time at church, although it may be fun. We do not just have a good time at church, but we, what? We learn how to be men and women of God, and we change our lives. We are changed, rather, by the Word of God. We let God speak to us through His Word, and we are therefore changed by it. If something comes up against you today and it convicts you of something in your life that is not in line with the Word of God, then do not harden your hearts as they did in days past, but it, let it change you. Repent and turn from your ways, for they do not line with Scripture, and therefore you are wrong and in sin. You understand that? So that being said, let's open up the Word of God. Let's see what the Word of God says, and let's apply it to our life. Before we do so, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the word of God. I am so, so thankful that I don't have to wonder what to base my life on. I don't have to wonder how the world works. I don't have to wonder uh, what it is that keeps everything steady and constant. I don't have to wonder if you're going to be there tomorrow. I don't have to wonder about any of these things. 
that I can put my wholehearted trust in you and that I'm safe to do so. For in you lies comfort, peace. It lies instruction, wisdom. Lord, all treasures of wisdom are found and hidden in Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for that. I pray, God, that you would reveal to us today. You say that if anyone lacks wisdom, that we should come and ask. And you would give it to us without holding anything back. And so that's what we do here today. I believe that you hear our prayers, but not only hear, but you act. I pray, God, that today you would meet with us and that you would open up our minds to see the truth of God's word and help us, or rather, conform us, help us to submit to your word and conform us to the image of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let us stand and, uh, as we read the word of God together. Let's stand in respect of God's word. I'm going to read uh, chapter 1 of Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. He said, we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You see, what we have here, and we touched base on a little bit of this last week because we started in another part of Nehemiah, and I wanted to come back because I just felt like the Lord wanted me to continue in this story a little bit. Where we find ourselves here in the uh, history of Israel is in about 430 B.C. You see, Israel had been scattered and had been ransacked and taken into exile by Babylon, and they had destroyed Jerusalem, they had destroyed the city, they had torn down the walls, and at this point, uh, the Israelites had went into captivity, but now they had come out of captivity from exile uh, into Babylon, and they were back in the city, but the city was just being rebuilt. The city had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel, and now the wall, which was the protection from the outside world, it was the protection from all of those around them that would protect them from uh, corruption, that would protect them from attack, that would protect them from being ransacked and the city being demolished again, lay in ruins. And so the city was rebuilt, but it was open to assault from the outside world. Okay, So along 430 B.C., they were uh, in exile about 530, about 100 years later in 430 B.C., 
we see Nehemiah being called to action to go back and to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem so that the people of God would be protected from the outside world. Now, Nehemiah, what I want you to notice here is that, and, we, and it's on throughout the book. I hope you go home and read the book of Nehemiah. What we find in this book is that Nehemiah wasn't actually, uh, he wasn't actually a, a, a priest. Uh, he wasn't um, a, a minister. He wasn't anything like that. He, he was actually just a man who loved God. He was faithful in God's house. Now, he did know his Bible. We can tell that from the text. But he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't uh, a skilled theologian as Ezra was. Ezra was a priest. He was the one that would get into the word. Zerubbabel was more of a, a, a godly man in a ministerial type position. Uh, but Nehemiah would have been more like a lay leader as far as theology goes. And I say this because Many of us think that we can't really be a part of God's work because we're not, you know, super theologically trained or uh, we don't have a, a position at the church or we don't have a stage to get on and preach or, or we think uh, we, that's not our call because those people are to do that. So you cast all of your responsibility onto me and expect that I can reach the people that only you know. I mean, I, how, how is that right? You have been called to go, you therefore, into the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have been called. Now, I have been called too. And I've been called to this specific place, but you need to understand that my call is to equip you to do your call. You can't just come and say, I'm sitting under your call and now I'm good. No. The only reason you sit under my call is so that your call can be perfected by God through me, or at least on that way, so that you then can go out into the world and do what God has called you to do. You see, in Nehemiah, he was actually the cupbearer to the king. If we read here right after chapter 1, it says, Now I was the cupbearer to the king in the month of Nisan, and it goes on to how God led this cupbearer to be a wall builder. He led a cupbearer to be a wall builder. You don't really need to have all the perfect skills in place. You don't really need the ability. You need the availability. Now, I am not saying that you can just uh, plead ignorance and live there. That is not what I'm saying. People say, well, God can chop down a tree with any axe that he wants. Yes, but he can chop it down a lot faster with a sharp axe, wouldn't you say? Nehemiah, I am not saying, was a foolish, ignorant man. No, he was not. He just wasn't your typical priest or anything like that. You see, he was a cupbearer, and a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, who would have been king of Persia, a very powerful king. I'm not recommending to watch it, but I'm sure some of you have seen the movie 300, where they go to war. Well, that's the king of Persia who brings 300,000 troops over to defeat the Spartans. That was Xerxes. This is Artaxerxes, which is Xerxes' son. And Nehemiah was cupbearer to Artaxerxes. You say, what is a cupbearer? A cupbearer was not a little sissy man who ran around giving the king wine. Here you go. No. A cupbearer was actually a bodyguard. The cupbearer would be the one who would have absolute immediate influence in the king's life. You've seen the movies where uh, they had the, the, the king and then the one man who was, he was bad dude, right? And, and, and he was trusted 
beyond all measure by the king. Why? What did he do? He would taste the wine to see if it was poison or not. Now, do you think you got to be a pretty bad dude to be like, let me see that. I'll drink it. No, I didn't die. You good. Go ahead. You see, this was a tough guy. This was a determined guy. He was a committed guy. He was a trusted guy. But he was not a wall builder. He was not a, 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 an amazing theologian or a priest. He wasn't a Levite. Most people put him in the tribe of Judah. But I, wa- I want you to watch what normal, God-fearing, faithful people of God do when they see a problem with God and his people. Let's read chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped. What about God's people? What about God's people? Who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Listen to this. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The first thing I want you to see about this man is that he has God's eyes. He has God's eyes. You see, he wasn't called to be a priest. He wasn't called to read the Bible all day long. He wasn't called. But when he saw the pain of God's people, he felt God's pain. He had God's eyes. He could see. He could hear. He could feel what it was like to be outcast and be God's people. I want to ask you right now. You say to me, but Brandon, I'm just not as smart or I'm not as righteous or I'm not as whatever. Why do you think that it matters how righteous you are? Sure, you need to repent. Absolutely. Sure, you need to get sharper in the Bible. Absolutely. But do you think... Do you think that the will of God, do you think that the kingdom of God, do you think that the work of the Holy Spirit is contingent on how good you are? Or do you think that it's God that is in me? It is, it is he that is in me that is greater than he who is in the world. You see? It is by the Holy Spirit that people come to understand the truth of God. It is not by your wonderful words. As a matter of fact, Paul said, I did not come before you with lofty speech because I didn't want to make it void. As a matter of fact, if you're too good, if you're too good at talking, you may just talk somebody into the kingdom and they didn't even have to have the power of God, which can't even really happen. There's a balance here because many take this message and they say, oh, I don't have to do anything. I can live however I want. But you know that's silly. You know that's silly. God's calling you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All I'm saying is know that it is that he is at work in you both to will and to work for your good favor. You see, both and. Yes, you're weak. Yes, you're frail. Yes, you don't deserve. Sure, none of us do. But while we were yet sinner, Christ died for us. Do you have the eyes of Christ? Do you have the eyes of God? Do you look and see, oh, there is pain. Now let me act. 
Are you broken by all of those people in our world who have turned their back on God? Does it break your heart to see those who have wandered far off from God, who get all of their satisfaction in the things of the world? Does it break your heart to know that they are bound for a sinner's hell? Have we gotten so calloused that we can walk through life and be like, they're going to hell? Man, that stinks. Or do we even really believe that hell is a real place that exists? Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. A man was plowing one day. He turned the treasure up. It wasn't even his land. He turned the treasure up. He found the treasure. He was like, oh, my goodness. What does he do? He buries the treasure back into the hole. He covers it back up, hoping nobody saw him. He runs off, sells everything that he has. He goes and buys the land so that the treasure on the land could be his. What's the moral of the story? If you really believed God's word, then it would create change and action in your life. If you really believed that your loved ones were bound for a sinner's hell or cut off from Christ, not going to experience oneness with God and redemption through the Lamb, then it would call you to action. What are you doing? You see, we see here that he, not only did he have God's eyes, but he had God's heart. In verses 4 through 7, it says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, what this is saying is when it says that, that he sat and wept for days, it meant that this was, this was actual heartbreak. This was, this was actual pain that it caused him. And you say, well, I'm just not that moved. Let me tell you something right now. As we read the story of Nehemiah, what we find is, is that Nehemiah wasn't just some guy out there, but he was a guy that was in tune with Jesus Christ, with God. He wouldn't have named him Jesus Christ at that time because the New Testament had come yet, but he understood who God was, and he had faith in God, and when he saw God's people broken and in despair, it broke his heart, and you could tell it because he sat down and wept and mourned for days. So you may be asking me, Brandon, I, I want to feel that way. I, I want to I, I, I wanna feel bad, you know, for other people, but I'm just so, so caught up in my own life, I, can't, I don't really have time to look at everybody else's circumstances. I say you probably hit the nail on the head. Listen to what you just said. I'm so wrapped up in myself, I can't see anybody else. I'm so wrapped up in myself, I can't see anybody else. Do you understand what's going on right here in our city? Do you understand what is going on one city over? Do you understand that people have traded the eternal God for broken cisterns that hold no water? Really practical drugs are rampant right in our own back door, Oak Grove. Drugs are rampant right three blocks from here. Unbelief, greed, greed less than half a mile that way. Greed that is so steep, they're drowning in it. How are we going to get the gospel to them? Do we even care? Do we even want to get the gospel to them? Are we just happy coming and sitting and hearing a sermon and listening to some music? 
You see, the only way, the only way that you are going to be moved is if you're in touch with God. Now, how often do you sit in the presence of the Lord? How often are you uh, after God in the Word of God, letting God conform you to the image of the Son? How often do you get into the Word of God that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce down through the bone and the marrow all the way down to the inner thoughts? You see, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. You cannot trust yourself. You cannot trust your own ideas. I hear people say, just follow your heart. No. Your heart in all its ways are, de are deceitful. Your heart is wicked. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. Follow the word of God and lead your heart. You say, well, I don't really feel, I don't care what you feel like. This culture is all about, well, if it feels good, I was born that way and it feels good. No! Your feelings are not king. Jesus is king. I don't care if it feels good. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is what? Self-control. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Your body says, well, I don't really feel like it. You know what King David said? You're going to worship. Heart, you're going to worship. I mean, you go read the Psalms. It's all in there. You will worship today. What did Paul say? I beat my body and I make it my slave. Follow your heart. That's 20th century postmodern relativistic. No. God is our standard, and you cannot make that subjective to what you feel. You submit to the Word of God because that's our authority. And when your heart is out of line with the Word of God, you say, sit down and shut up. You beat your body and you make it your slave. You need to get up at 5 a.m., get up at 5 a.m. You say, well, I don't really have any time. Well, you got time to watch The Walking Dead. I ain't really got time. You got time. We always find time to do that which we most desire to do. Time is not your problem. Passion is your problem. Let's say that again. Time is not your problem. We need to examine our hearts, don't we? To see whether or not we even be in the faith. Because the tree will be known by the fruit that it... As we continue on, you see that Nehemiah has God's eyes. Nehemiah has God's heart. And, and not only does he see the pain, but that he reacts to the pain through a godly reaction. That is to... To sit down, to weep, and to mourn. I wrote those three things down. He sat down, he wept, and he mourned. How many times have we really sat down and stopped and just considered what these people around us are going through? Hey, that's a legitimate point. I mean, I could spend the rest of the time, right? We are in our cars, and our cars will do like 900 miles an hour. We see the bum on the side of the road, and we're like, Sorry, I gotta go, whatever. I'm in a hurry, sorry. I wouldn't stop, but I ain't going to change. We see the bad neighborhood, we take another street. I mean, it's just realistic. We need to slow down a little bit. 
We need to remember, see, who do you think you are? You see, the problem is, is that we all think that we got it figured out. You say, no, I'm really humbled, Pastor. If you were as humble as you said you were, you would be ministering to people who are not like you. Huh? How many of you, don't raise your hand and don't point to your husband or your wife. How many of you minister to people who are not like you? You say, well, I, I talk to people all the time about Jesus and I invite them to church. What do they look like? Well, they look like the person I see in the mirror. Well, if you only worship in you, people who are like you, then that kind of indicates that you're worshiping you. And you're staying within your comfort zone. Is our heart broken for those who are not like us? Like some of you in the room are very wealthy. I don't see any problem with being wealthy if your money doesn't control you or consume you. If you use it for the kingdom of God. But do you only really minister to other wealthy people? Hey, let's flip it around too. Some of you in the room are poor. <laughs> Will you go out of your comfort zone to reach those who are more successful than you? Do you feel bad about yourself when you're around people who are financially wealthy? That is just as much an indication that you find your identity in what they think and not in Christ. See, we're always talking about, let's reach the poor, let's reach the poor, let's reach the poor. Well, the rich are farther away. Easier it is for the camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You say, don't be talking about the people with money, Brandon, they might leave. <laughs> hey, what I'm saying is this. How hard is it for those who have everything they need to see that they need a Savior. It's not all that hard to reach the poor. They're like, I need, I need. And you're like, here you go, Jesus. The rich are like, I don't need anything. I got everything I could possibly need. Point being, we need to come out of our comfort zone to reach all people, all tongues, all races, all socioeconomic statuses, we need to see the pain. We need to see the need wherever it is. And like Nehemiah, be broken into a million pieces because these living human beings who are created in the image of God are far from him. And they need to be reached with the gospel of Christ no matter what their situation. So Nehemiah had the, God, he had the eyes of God. He had the heart of God. And also we see here very clearly that he had the word of God. We keep on and we read and it says, And I said, O Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love and love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even if even I and my father's house have sinned. I want to point out one more thing before I get to this next point. <clears throat> we do not need leaders who think that they are here and their followers are here. Uh, whether it be the president 
of the United States, the mayor, the governor, senators, preachers, boss men and boss women. We don't need leaders who see themselves here and those little peons here. If you see in Nehemiah's message, the greatest leaders get their example from King Jesus. The greatest leaders understand that in order to properly proclaim the gospel, they must be here or even here. Jesus, remember, we went through the whole upside-down kingdom. Jesus says the last will be and the first will be. You see, Jesus Christ says, if you want to be great, then you must be a servant. If you want to lead, then you need to know how to serve and how to love. Nehemiah shows this very clearly. And Nehemiah was a great leader. As a matter of fact, you know how long it took him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? Now, this was a miracle. Do you know how many days? Anybody? 52 days to rebuild the wall all the way around Jerusalem. It says that he led the soldiers in such a way that they were willing to die for him. How? Because he was like them. Because he needed what they needed. Because he proclaimed what they proclaimed. Because he did what they did. And because he was not uh, uh, unwilling to get his hands dirty. The moment that I start to, to, to think that I'm somebody and that you're nobody. See, if this, is, this is kind of odd. Because I'm elevated up onto this stage and I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and it's like, I've got something that you need. But really, I've just got a gift that complements your gift. So if, if it wasn't weird and it wasn't uh, harmful to the message being proclaimed, it really would be more like this. Oh, sorry. You see? For we all, in our giftings, look to the Word of God. My gift just really so happens to be to proclaim the Word of God and to exegete and to rightly divide the Word of God. The Word of God is what stands above us. You see, I'm a sinner like you, believe it or not. I have my struggles. Sometimes my wife... Oh, never mind. Sometimes my wife and I argue. Really, it's nothing to do with anything that she does. It's all me. But sometimes, good way. Amen, brother. But, but in all seriousness, I mean, I have struggles. I come in here on Wednesday night sometimes. Robert's been here. Uh, the, these other guys have been here. Dustin's been here. I've come in here on Wednesday night before. Uh, Wesley's been here. I've come in here on Wednesday nights before, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm the man for this job. We've been broken. I can't, I can't do it no more. You know how hard it is sometimes to come in here and proclaim to you the truth of the Word of God, and I know that I've broken it that week? That's tough. I have to remind myself that I don't stand on my own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. I, along with Paul, who wrote a lot or most of the New Testament, Paul says, I find in that law is that sin is a law in my members. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Who then will set me free from this body of death? 
Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, I don't preach out of my own righteousness or out of my own, my, my own works. Now, do I need to uh, be as a teacher? Do I need to be held accountable more than most? Yeah, absolutely. The, the whole thing with Perry Noble. Perry Nobles has put a, a message out there, great, taking responsibility for a, 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 a fall that happened in his life. Could that have happened to any one of you in this room? Absolutely. Could it happen to me? Absolutely. I pray to God that it doesn't. Keep my guard up. Stay in the Word of God. Have plenty of accountability partners. But that man's human. I'm human. And what they did was great. I was so proud of New Spring. You know, I read the article, the official letter from New Spring Church. Not Perry Noble, but from New Spring Church. And you know what? They exercised church discipline. I read the letter. It said they went to him. They sought reconciliation. They sought repentance from him. He struggled with it. He couldn't do it. They went and they sought him again. They asked him to repent. They asked him. They tried to get him help, but he just had such a struggle with it. And finally, they came to him. They said, look, we've brought it before you. We've brought it for you again. We've tried reconciliation, and you're going to have to step out of leadership until you get this resolved. That's church discipline. That's biblical. And Perry Noble absolutely uh, said what they did was right. And I say, Amen. Because the man on stage is a sinner as well. And we have to hold each other accountable by what? The Word of God. It is over all of us, myself included. I say that because Nehemiah knew this. When he repented, he repented for the people, he confessed for the people, and he confessed for himself as well. That's the kind of leaders we need. That's the kind of leaders we need in our government. That's the kind of leaders we need in our state senate. That's the kind of leaders we need in our, in our city, uh, 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 city council and in our churches and our businesses. What would the world be like if all of our leaders were humble and realized that they were no better than anybody else? Wow. Employees would be taken care of. The, 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 the United States would be flourishing. Because we wouldn't, the rich wouldn't get richer and the poor get poor and all these kind of social issues. That's another day and another time. But I'm telling you right now, we need men of God who understand that they are bound to the word and that they are bound to Christ and that they are no better than anybody else. That's the type of men and women we need. Amen? Amen. This is, what, this is who Nehemiah was. But he goes on down and he says here, he, uh, let's see, we have, acted, we have acted very corruptly. We're in verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And he says here, this starts a, a very interesting, a very amazing text of Scripture here. He says in verse 8, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. You, did you catch that? What did he just do to God? What did he do? What did he give God? A Huh? A reminder. Turn it up. She said, sorry. He reminded God of God's word. Does nobody else find that just amazing? It does happen all throughout Scripture. But he reminded God of what God had said. Now, do you think God needs reminding? Do you think he forgot? He's like, oh, my bad, Nehemiah. <laughs> I, about, I about forgot about that one. I think it's in my file somewhere. No, God doesn't forget. So what's going on here? He reminds God of his word. What's going on here if God doesn't need reminding? Let's, let's continue. 
Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Now, he goes on, and I want to show you something, because this is just, I think it'll, nail, it'll drive the point home. Listen to what he says. To make my name dwell there, verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I thought this was amazing because it shows us how we are to pray. Now, no, God doesn't need to be reminded of his prayers because he remembers all things. He actually knows all things. He doesn't live in space-time as we do. God is actually right now, and I know that we've talked about this before, this is mind-numbing. But God is right now in the past when this is being written, and he is right now in the future where we will dwell with Christ forever. You see, Christ, God isn't, he isn't, then and, and, and then and then now and then and then tomorrow. No, God just is. You see, this is how we can account for how we know the world to exist. This is how come uh, uh, morals are morals no matter what you think about them. It's why logic is logic and no matter what you think about it. It's why everything holds to a steady uniformity of nature. It's why everything stays the same. And you can depend that when you go out tomorrow, the sun will rise. Because God, who is, always will be. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning from the end. You see, He just is. That's why you have the uh, Yahweh is I am. When Moses said, who am I to say sent me? He said, I am. You see, he, he wasn't, he was, or he will be. He just is I am. He is steady. And so what I want to say through that is this, is that God doesn't need to be reminded of his word, but we need to be reminded of his word, and we need to faithfully count on and rely on and dwell in his word. And I think we can see that here. If you want to hold your finger there and flip over, you can. If you don't want to, I'll read it for you. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, Verse 29, it's, this, is, this is very, very interesting. Listen to what this, this happens here. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, and I'm going to read it. Ready? Nehemiah, go back. You, you are quick, man. You are really quick. Nehemiah 1, 11. Okay, here, well, that's good. Let's just do that. Now, have the other one in the barrel, Okay. Nehemiah 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. All right, go to Deuteronomy 9.29. Ha! For they are your people and your heritage whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Hit the next one. I might have put, get, put the wrong one up there. Let me make sure. Hold on a second. Nope, that's the wrong one. 
See, I make mistakes too. I want to show you this, so I'm going to find where it is. Hold on a second. Maybe I won't find it. I might have to show you next week. <laughs> okay, look back up then at... Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8. What I want to show you is this. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 4. I'll get the other one. I know 929. What, the point is this, and I'm going to show it to you here in just a second, is that Nehemiah is actually quoting from Deuteronomy. Okay? I want to show you this because what he's doing is not reminding God of his word, but he is putting the word of God that God had already spoken into practice in his life. He is speaking into existence existence, what God has already promised in times past. And let me show you this right here. In Nehemiah 1.8, it says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make them dwell there. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25, listen to this. It says, when your father's uh, children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over to Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will utterly be destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve God of wood and stone and work of human hands, and neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and, and you will find him. If you search after him with all of your heart and with all of your soul." Now, he goes on to almost exactly quote Deuteronomy, and I'll bring that back up later. But what I want to show you today is that Nehemiah has God's eyes, he sees, and he is moved because he also has God's heart. And as he is praying here in Nehemiah chapter 1, we see that he is quoting God's word back to him, and he is saying, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful. So we know that God does not need to be reminded of his word. So we know also now that what Nehemiah is doing is he is calling God forward to make his promises sure. Can you count on God's word? Can you count on God? Can you, can you trust that what he is saying is going to be? You see, if God is I am and he's not here and there, but he just is all the time in all places then we understand that if God has said it, he's not going to do it, but has already done it. We just haven't got there yet. Now, all of this is to, to give you some really good advice, that we need to have God's eyes, we need to have God's heart, and we need to have God's word. 
But I want to show you something that's a further implication of this. If you know me and you know the way that I preach, what I want to do is I want to do what Jesus Christ did in, in John chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 24. He said, starting with the law and the prophets, I showed them how all of this was about me. And so what can we learn about Christ through Nehemiah, who is a type of Christ? You see, Nehemiah had God's eyes, he had God's heart, he had God's word. In all of these things, we see Christ having the same thing. You see, Jesus Christ came into a world full of lost sinners, not to rub elbows with those who were great leaders like he would be, right? But to serve. And he said the least of these will be greatest, not the other way around. And so we know that Christ had God's eyes because he is God. We know that he had God's heart because he said, Lord, may this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will and not mine. What was in the cup? Wrath. So we know that he was willing to do whatever needed to be done in order to reconcile a broken and lost people back to himself. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. But I want to show you something else. You see, Nehemiah had come back to build the wall around Jerusalem to protect the people of God from the outside world, which necessarily meant what? That the outside world was what? Cut off. How hard was it for the outside world to get into the, to the people of God and become people of God? Wasn't Israel the chosen people? Wasn't Israel the chosen nation? So then what about the rest of the world? What about the Babylons? What about the Gentiles? What about all of these other people who were absolutely cut off? You see, the wall had been built to protect, but it also cut off the outside world from the message of God. Now, Zerubbabel built the temple back, Ezra brought the word to the temple, and Nehemiah built the wall around the temple in the redemption and the protection of God's people. But we see Jesus Christ being the fulfillment of all of this. Jesus Christ is uh, the one in whom uh, the uh, temple would be rebuilt for the final time in John chapter 2, verse 19. And this is just fascinating stuff right here. In John chapter 2, verse 19, it says this. Listen to what Jesus says here. Jesus says, we'll start in verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. Jesus had just healed someone. And it says, and asked them, is this man... I'm in the wrong section. The Lord is making an example of me today. 2.18, not 9.18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Now, Jesus Christ had just uh, said that my father's house is a house of prayer. It will not be a house of prayer. He drove everybody out. And they were saying, what right do you have to do this? What right do you have to define what the temple will be and what the house of God will be? What right do you have? What sign are you going to give us? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. You see, the temple would be destroyed in 70 A.D. But Jesus Christ is saying to them, what you don't understand is that the temple, the dwelling place of God, is actually a foreshadowing. It is a type. It is pointing to another temple. It is pointing to me. 
And see, the temple was torn down by the exile and by the attack and by destruction in about 530 B.C. But Jesus Christ is saying that rebuilding was only a type of what I would do on the third day when I rose from the grave. Jesus Christ is the temple. As a matter of fact, in John uh, chapter 1, it says that he, what? He became flesh and tabernacle, dwelt among us. You see, that word tabernacle there is the word dwell among us. Jesus Christ is God in bodily form. He is the tabernacle. He is the temple. And so while Nehemiah goes back and Zerubbabel, they go back and build the temple. And Nehemiah builds the wall in 52 days. Jesus Christ rebuilds the temple in three days. You see, we can get a lot of good advice out of Nehemiah chapter 1. We can say we need to have God's eyes. We need to have God's heart. We need to have God's word. But we can have all of those things. We can try to have all of those things. And we can do all kind of good work. We can do all kind of, uh, uh, of pitiful work and really help people. And we can cry and weep and mourn because we feel what God feels. And we can even proclaim the word of God. But apart from the everlasting and eternal work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, none of it means anything. Now, I want to show you one other thing that has to do with, with Nehemiah specifically. And if you guys want to come on up, the band, come on up. This will be my last point. Nehemiah spent 52 days rebuilding the wall. 52 days he spent rebuilding the wall. And the wall, as we just discussed was there to protect the people of God, but it also, it also cut off the outsiders. Now, we know that in Christ, Jesus Christ was reconciling the world to himself. That he was calling all people from all tribes and all nations. And from what I understand in the text is that is that Israel, that Jerusalem, the city and the temple, the, the city of God and the wall that was built around it was all foreshadowing the work that Jesus Christ would do in bringing all people to himself. So what would we do? Where would we find the wall that would separate the, this small people of God, the Israelites, ethnic Israel? What would we do with that wall that separated the people and the promises of God from the rest of the world? I want you to check this text out because it's one of the most amazing texts that I've ever read. With that in mind, listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, I don't know, there may be some Jews in here among us, or maybe some... Uh, Messianic Jews. I'm not really sure. But I would venture to say that most of you are Gentiles. And you understand that you were cut off from the land of the living. You were cut off from the people of God. You were cut off because there was no way that you could get in because the promises of God were for Israel. And you would have been held out by the wall. It says, therefore, remember that you, that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, Israel and Gentile who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It took Nehemiah 52 days to build the wall. It took Jesus three to break it down. Bringing the promises of God to all people, all tongues, and all nations. And he, we no longer need the wall for protection, for he is our protection. We no longer need the wall or the city because God has come to dwell among men. He said as in his word that I behold I bring a new covenant. I will write my law on their heart. In Ezekiel 37, we know the valley of dry bones. In Ezekiel 36, we know that he says, I will remove your heart of stone and I'll replace it with a heart of flesh. In Jesus Christ, we find our aha. Uh-huh. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the city. And Jesus broke down the wall so that we could all be one. For there is therefore now no Jew or Greek, man or male or female, slave or free, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. Do you feel alienated? Do you feel as if you're in the world all alone? Do you feel as if you can't relate? Jesus Christ has died so that we could all come near, so that we could all become one. What will you do with the word of God? As we all stand to our feet and as These guys start to play. I want to ask you this. Do you have the eyes of the Lord? Do you have the heart of God? And do you know the word of God? Can you you pray the word of God back to him like Nehemiah when he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 4 and Deuteronomy chapter 9? Can you quote from the word of God? Are you praying and trusting and standing on the promises? And the greatest promise of all is Christ and we find that Christ is the greater Nehemiah who is the redeemer who has come to rebuild Jerusalem he is the greater Nehemiah who understood that we don't need to build the wall but we need to tear the wall down so that we can all come and fellowship together under the blood of the lamb we in Christ break away and tear away all divisions There is no distinctions, for we are one in Christ. I want to open the altar for you. I want to invite you to come, to give Christ your heart, to repent, to turn away from any wickedness, any sin in your life, that God might use you to build the eternal kingdom. Come, do what God has laid on your heart to do.